0: Hey everybody, oh, welcome. Uh, so glad that you're here at Christ Community Chapel. Uh, welcome all campuses and venues. If you're worshiping at Aurora, or Highland Square, Restoration, or just tuning in, uh, thanks for joining us. All right, I haven't told you in a while, and I need to tell you this, that uh, I love you guys, uh, and I love this church, and I hope you do too. And if you are new, I hope you learn to love this church, all right? All right, we have a theme for this year. And our theme is transformed in 2018. And the idea is pretty simple. We want to be different by the end of the year than we were in January, different in a good way. Uh, We want to be more of what God wants us to be. We want to be more of what we desperately want to be. We want to be more of what the world needs us to be. And so that's why we have been talking about transformed all year. And now we're here in July, so we're at the halfway point. We're also at the halfway point of our series that we're doing right now called Shift, Five Ways God Shapes Us. Five Ways God Shapes Us. That came from a discussion we were having with some staff members just asking, okay, uh, what has God really used to change you, to move you closer to himself? You know, the first week we talked about friends, last week we talked about mentors, this week we talk about suffering, suffering. And I've been looking forward to this uh, partly because it's been such a profound change agent in my own life. I mean, uh, friends and mentors are great. We need friends. Everybody needs friends and mentors in the Christian life. You need somebody to walk along beside you. You need somebody to help you correct your direction sometimes. You need somebody to encourage you. But suffering has the ability to cut you more deeply than a friend or a mentor ever could. God can use suffering to actually do spiritual surgery on your soul and to cure you of a spiritual cancer that you don't know you have. Let me say that again. God can use suffering to do surgery on your soul and cure you of a spiritual cancer you don't even know you have. And that's why I have learned kind of to look at suffering as one of the best and most terrible gifts God gives us. All right. Uh, This is the game Jenga. I don't know if you've ever played it. It's uh, a game that's designed, evidently, to give, to create tension. I don't know why anybody would make a game like this. Oh, you're supposed to put them up here. And I don't know why anybody would ever play a game like this. Because eventually, what happens is that you move the wrong thing Oh, and I, I've noticed this too. When you're young, you're kind of building your tower. So every block, you're all excited about building up. <laughs> when you get to a certain age, you kind of crest a hill. And then uh, things start coming undone, and you start to lose things more than you gain them. And finally, something will happen where that happens. And this is um, a little bit of what suffering feels like. Oh, when something happens in your life that kind of uh, wrecks you, and then the question is, what do you do? How do you respond? And let me, before I get to the three main points, let me tell you just a couple of things. If God is going to use suffering uh, in your life at all, there are two things that I want to tell you right away. The first is that in the midst of suffering, and some of you feel like this right now, and in the midst of suffering, I want you to know, truth is your friend, and exaggeration is your enemy. Truth is your friend, and exaggeration is your enemy. Because a lot of times when we suffer, we tend to tell ourselves things are worse than they actually are. I was sitting with a man not too long ago, and uh, he was going through suffering, and it was something bad. His wife had left him, and she had taken his two uh, stepchildren that he dearly loved, and he was telling me that his whole life was, was wrecked, and it was all, I mean, everything, she had taken everything from him, and I had to stop him, and I said, wait, stop, stop, and I, I need you to be very specific right now, because there are at least, there are dozens of things that have got to be going well in your life for you to sit, be able to sit here right now and talk to me. She didn't take your health. She didn't take your job. You still have your friends. You still have your extended family. You still have your church. You're not Job. (laughs) I'm not a great counselor. (laughs) Job is a biblical character that was really wiped out to like the last couple of little blocks. And nobody else has been put through what Job has been put through. And We'll talk about him in just a minute. But one of the things that if God is going to use suffering in your life, you have to be ruthless in telling yourself the truth. That's one thing. The second thing is uh, there's a verse in 1 Peter. Peter writes this letter to uh, some people that are in suffering. Uh, They're struggling. Uh, Some of them have been arrested. Some of them have been beaten. Some of them have been killed. Some of them have lost their jobs. Some of them have lost their families. And this is what Peter writes in 1 Peter verse, chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery, fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's really interesting to me that Peter says don't, don't be surprised. He doesn't say don't grieve. When this happens, you can grieve. And the reason that Peter says don't be surprised is that grief will not destroy your faith surprise might. Because when suffering happens and you are shocked, many times you're not shocked just at the suffering, you're shocked at God, that God would allow that to happen to you. And while grief and tears will not destroy your faith, shock and a clenched fist might. So if God is going to use suffering in your life, you need to tell yourself the truth and don't be surprised. All right, now let's get to the three points. Suffering can show us three things. It can show us our hearts, it can show us their hearts, it can show us God's heart. Suffering can show us our heart, show us their heart, show us God's heart. Let me start with suffering can show you your heart. Suffering can show you two things, what you really believe and what you really love. And there are hardly two things that are more deeply embedded in your soul than those two things. If what you believe is not right, or what you love is a misplaced love, then you are in trouble spiritually, no matter how you feel. You are in deep, deep trouble. But the question is, how do you know? How do you know what you really believe deep down? How do you know what you really love deep down? One of the ways you find out is through suffering. let me start with what you really believe. Because you're here or you're listening or you're watching, I can assume that the vast majority of you uh, either have a connection with God or you want a connection with God. And that means you fall into one of two categories. The first category is, is if you have a connection with God, you have a connection with God through what we call the gospel. And the gospel is this. The gospel always starts with bad news. The gospel is that you are separated from God and you're, you have this broken relationship and there's nothing you can do to try to restore that relationship. Not, you can't be a good enough person. You can't, you're, it doesn't matter what your grandfather did. It doesn't matter anything. You cannot make it back to God. That's the way the gospel starts. So God began this rescue operation. Because if you were going to be saved, it had to be God. This is what, uh, how Scripture puts it, by the way. This is Romans chapter 3, uh, beginning at verse 10. It says, as, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless No one does good, not even one. Okay, so the gospel starts with that. Uh, I don't know if you've been paying attention to uh, the news and the soccer team in Thailand. Uh, These uh, 12 boys, ages 11 to 16, you probably have seen it if you've turned on the TV at all or gotten on the internet. They were, uh, somehow, they got stuck in this underwater cave and they could not get out. They were going to They were stuck there for two weeks. And they realized that not a single one of them was going to be able to escape that cave and get out alive. And so they launched this rescue operation that included these uh, Navy SEALs, I think some U.S. Navy SEALs and some Thai Navy SEALs. And they did this amazing, almost impossible rescue operation, and they saved all 12 boys. That's the gospel. Okay, so God launches this rescue operation that includes Jesus, and then this is what it says in Romans 3. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. That's the rescue. We call that grace, right? Because there was nothing we could do, so God saved us through Jesus. That's the gospel. And that's what those boys in Thailand received. It was the grace of those Navy SEALs that saved them. And uh, those boys will be forever grateful. Not a single one of those boys will ever say, oh, I escaped because I was a great, great swimmer. They were lost, and the SEAL team found them that's true of you. That's the gospel. So there are some of you who are connected to God through the gospel. The other way that people try to connect with God is the the most popular counterfeit for the gospel, and it's called moralism. Now, if um, these boys in Thailand being stuck in a cave is the image that uh, best captures kind of the gospel, that they couldn't save themselves, so someone had to rescue them, Then the best image to capture moralism is a vending machine. Because a vending machine is very predictable. You put in your money, you push a button, something comes out. That's moralism. You you live a good life, you get a good life. You put in the right kind of things with God, He gives you what you really want. There's a story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Luke chapter 15, Jesus starts the story by saying a man had two sons. One son is the younger son who is the example of the gospel. Then the other son is the older son. He's he's an example of moralism, and this is the way the story goes. The younger son takes uh, the father's inheritance that was coming to him, and he goes to a far country, and he spends it all in wild living, and he ends up being destitute, and he can't do anything, and he comes staggering back home with nothing to offer the father. He's got nothing to barter with, and he thinks that he's just going to throw himself and just say to his father, I'll be your slave. And his father sees him from a long way off, and he runs to him, and he throws his arms around him, and he says, this is my son who was lost and has been found. This is my son who is dead and is alive. Let's celebrate the gospel. That's grace. The older brother was out in the field, at the time, he hears all the commotion, so he asks somebody, What's going on? And they say, uh, your, your younger brother's come home, your dad's throwing a big party. And the older son gets really mad. And the father comes out to see his older son, and he says, what, what's, what's wrong? Why don't you come in and celebrate? And the older son says, I have been working, I have been doing what I was supposed to do, and I push the buttons and you owe me. You don't owe him. And the story ends with the older son outside the party. He never goes in. Moralism. How do you know what you really believe deep down? I found out when I was 28. When I was 28 years old, I was a youth pastor in North Carolina. My little brother John and another kid on my youth group were both killed in a motorcycle accident on their way to my house. And I was shocked. And I wasn't just shocked at the suddenness of that. I was shocked with God. Because I I remember thinking, wait, wait. My dad is a minister. He's given his whole life to you. My brother, my older brother, he's a minister. He's given his whole life to you. I'm a minister. I've given my whole life to you. We have put in our quarters. How dare you do this? It took me two years to figure out that I believed in me much more than I believed in Jesus. It was a spiritual cancer I didn't know I had. And I have been forever grateful that God loved me enough to do surgery on me and not let me continue the way I was. And it was suffering that did that surgery. Because suffering is is what showed me what I really believed deep down. And it probably will show you that too. The second thing that it shows you is what you really love. The book of Job is uh, the most comprehensive um, story about suffering that we have in the Bible. The, the most comprehensive teaching on suffering, really, in, in all of religious literature. And uh, the book of Job starts like this. It starts with a conversation between God and Satan. And it says this, Job chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, I remember reading a book, I think it was by Philip Yancey, called uh, The Bible Jesus Read. And he explained, he kind of uh, explained this in a way that I really understood it. And what he said was, this was uh, a challenge of Satan to God. Because God said to Satan, have you seen Job? I love Job, Job loves me. And Satan said, <laughs> you've got to be kidding Job doesn't love you. He loves your stuff. Job loves your swag. He does not love you. Nobody loves you. You're like a rich man who has to buy his friends. No one loves you for you. And God said, Job does. And Satan said, want to bet? Job was uh, the only person that we have in the whole Bible who had a chance to love God just for being God and not for what God gives him. And the reason he had that opportunity is because he suffered so greatly. Right? One of the things that I had to get in my head about suffering is if all of this, if every block represents every single part of my life that can cause suffering, there's not a single thing that I have that can be taken away that wasn't a gift to me. There is nothing I can say to God, this is mine, I did this, you cannot take it away. So when I suffer, when you suffer, is the only chance you have to try to figure out whether you love God for God or you love God just because of the stuff that he gives you. So the first thing that suffering does is it shows you two things about your heart. It shows you what you really believe, shows you what you really love. Second thing suffering can do is, is to show you their heart. And what I mean by that is this. How do you know how someone else feels? When my little brother died, I had a lot of people come around and, and say things to try to make me feel better. And if you've ever been in that situation, people say really stupid stuff. <laughs> try not to do that, okay? Just... For me to you. Um, but people said that, but one person came in and I don't remember her name and I didn't know her very well, but she was a young woman and she sat down and I'll never forget what she did. She said, I don't know exactly how you feel, but I know how you feel some because my little brother died two years ago. And I say, I don't know exactly how you feel because I didn't lose your brother. You lost your brother. And I remember looking at her and just thinking, you understand. And for once, I was not alone. Right? There is something about suffering that allows you to connect with somebody when they desperately need someone to connect with who's gone through something similar. This is the way Scripture says it in 2 Corinthians chapter, two, uh, chapter 1. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Uh, last week, let me say this, God doesn't waste pain. He doesn't want to waste pain. We waste pain, but God doesn't want us to waste pain. That's part of what Todd's message was last week about mentors. And we received uh, this email from a guy uh, after last week's sermon. And I love this email. This is what he says. He says, great sermon today, Todd. You did a great job. I'd like to mentor anyone who needs me. I know it has to start with trust, but you have to meet somebody in order for that relationship to lead to trust. Here are some areas uh, that I might be able to help with that he lists out this. Widower, wife died of cancer at the age of 53. Job seeker, went through the toughest times of recessions and layoffs more than once. Father of a daughter who was raped. Cancer survivor. Employer. Uh, Well, even as I read those things, I was going, oh, man, he gets it. He knows that if, if he really wants to get, what he gets is how do you really connect with anybody? Do you really connect with somebody when, when you're in a group and somebody goes, hey, I was homecoming queen of my high school? And another person goes, oh, I was too, right? And they laugh. Or do you really connect with people when somebody says, I lost a baby? And somebody's head shoots up and they say, you too? You too? And they begin to cry together. Suffering can make you a better friend, a better neighbor, a better spouse, a better human being. Suffering can create a softness in you and a strength and a grace and a beauty and an ability to connect with people in their darkest time because you have been through that darkness. And you'll be able to feel what they feel because suffering has shown you their heart. That's the second thing. Third thing that suffering does is it shows you God's heart. It's a verse in uh, 1 Peter. Again, I read you ver- uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Here's verse 13. Peter says, But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. He says, But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering. There, there's something so strange about that. You know, there's certain things that are so strange, but you get so familiar with them, you forget they're, they're very strange. The strange thing about that is it says that Jesus suffered. We're used to that. But there's no other religion in the world that says even remotely that God has suffered, that God knows what it's like to experience pain. But Christianity says that Jesus was absolutely wrecked he was wrecked. And of course, the question is why, right? Because that's what we ask whenever we suffer. We always want to know why. Why is this happening? Well, we know the answer to the why question with Jesus, don't we? I I was just reading uh, an article about a, a woman named Joy Verone. Uh, she was in Colorado on vacation with her family and her three little kids ran and they jumped in their SUV uh, to wait for their parents. But the SUV started to roll for some reason. And it started to roll towards the cliff and Joy Verone, as the mom, uh, just knew one thing to do. She ran in front of the SUV and tried to stop it, tried to, to push on it. And it kept rolling and she, finally she ended up being rolled over, and the SUV crushed her spine, but as it rolled over her, it slowed up enough for somebody else to open the door and pull up the emergency brake and save the kids. Now the kids are in their late teens and early 20s, and every time they see their mom in the wheelchair, they're reminded by her suffering how much she loves them, because they know why their mom's in a wheelchair. Every time you look at a cross, every time you hold a communion cup, every time you experience any kind of pain, you need to remind yourself that you know the God who experienced pain for you. You know the God who sent Jesus, and Jesus was absolutely wrecked. I told you that no one uh, has experienced what Job's experienced. The, The only one that has is Jesus. And he did it for you. And he did it so that you would not always experience suffering. He did it so that one day, all of this would be put back together again, and every bit of suffering that you have ever gone through will be redeemed, and all sad things will come untrue. How does God really change you? Suffering has the ability to actually do spiritual surgery on you, where God can use suffering to cure you of a cancer, of a spiritual cancer you don't even know you have. Because when you go through suffering, it can show you your heart, what you really believe, what you really love. When you go through suffering, it can show you their heart. It can give you a compassion and an ability to identify and minister that you would not have otherwise. And finally, it can show you God's heart. The God who is willing to suffer for you, to save you when you couldn't save yourself. That's the gospel. Transformed. 2018, even through suffering. Maybe particularly through suffering. Did you pray with me? Father in heaven, oh, we come to you. And I don't wish uh, suffering on anyone. Although I know that you can use suffering in our lives to do something that uh, nothing else can do. And there are uh, some of us that we think we believe something, we think we love you, and we might not. And I pray for anyone who is going through suffering now, that you might use it in a way to make them healthy, to make them believe the gospel more deeply, to make them love you Uh, more deeply and to make them change uh, in the deepest part of their soul. Thanks for your grace that shows itself even uh, in our pain. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.